Moses take? Well, risk was simply this. He was a renegade from Egypt to begin with because he killed an Egyptian soldier. Living on the backside of the desert as a shepherd for 40 years, God confronts him at the burning bush and says to him, it was a long speech between him and Moses, and uh, they have this conversation about him going back to Egypt and commanding and telling Pharaoh that God told him to tell Pharaoh to let the Hebrews go, who now had become slaves for all these hundreds of years. So what did he have with him? He had his brother with him. And secondly, a shepherd stick. That's not very much of a weapon against all the Egyptian charioteers and soldiers and all the rest that they had. What was the risk? Losing his life. All Pharaoh had to say was, and he'd have been gone. He took the risk of losing his life for the Hebrew children. What was the reward? He became the savior of the Hebrew children they became a nation, Israel, through whom the Messiah came, the greatest statesman in the Old Testament. Then, for example, there was a man like Gideon. When the Lord came to Gideon and spoke to him because the Midianites had, had been in control and absolutely ravishing their crops and destroying everything about them, they were hiding out in caves and everywhere else. And so God came to him and said, uh, uh, Gideon, O valiant warrior, you know what his response was? What do you mean, old valiant warrior? He said, I'm the least of my father's household, and who am I? And I have no abilities and talents and gifts and skills. And he started giving God all these excuses. Anyway, here's what God did. He said, here's the risk. I want you to set Israel free of these Midianites and Amalekites and all the rest. And so what did God do? And you know the story. Some of you at least know the story. He gathered uh, the people of Israel together, the soldiers, at about 22,000, somewhere thereabouts, and uh, God said, that's too many. He finally uh, got them down to the river, and he said, look, all of those who get on their knees and drink, send them home. He'd already said, all of you who are afraid to fight, send them home. Well, they were getting them down now. Now they got down to 300. And so God said, now, Gideon, this is the task. You take 300 men with clay pots, a torch, and a trumpet. Now, he already knew how many enemies he had because the Scripture is very clear, and uh, naturally he had, he had to deal with this whole issue when he talked about uh, how many, when he talked about the issue of, of the numbers of his enemies. For example, he said that the Malachites, the Midianites, and then the rest of those uh, from the east. And here's what he said about them. He said, now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as numerous as the sand on the sea. What was the risk? Can you imagine this? 300 men versus three whole armies of well-trained and, and capable people. 300 men circling the camp, and all they had was a torch, a clay pot, and a trumpet. Here's what he said. Here's how we're going to win this war. We're going to break the clay pots, hold up the torch, and blow the trumpet. Now, how's that going to kill three armies? <laughs> there was nothing reasonable about that at all. You're talking about a risk. There's a man who took a risk. And what did God do? He did what he always does. Listen to this. He always assumes full responsibility for the consequences of our obedience, period. And what did they do? They all killed each other. What was the reward for the next 40 years? Gideon served as a judge, and there, were, there was peace for the nation of Israel. The Bible says he died at ripe old age. Then, of course, 
during the Persian reign when the children of Israel had been taken out of their own land. And there was a man by the name of Haman who hated the Jews. And he manipulated the circumstances to get them all killed. And so there was a law that said, the law of the king said, that if his wife, if the queen, walks into uh, his uh, chamber uh, without being invited in, she can lose her life. And so what she did, Esther said, I want to get all the people in Israel praying, fasting three days, and she says, I'm going into the king and make an appeal for my people. If I perish, I perish. What did she do? She risked her life. And what did she do? She saved her nation. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to have to take risk. If you're going to walk in the will of God, you're going to have to take risk. If you're going to obey God, you're going to have to take risk. If you're going to accept the challenges of God in your life, you're going to have to take risk. If you're going to grow and become the person, achieve the things that God wants you to achieve in life, you're going to have to take risks. It's not going to always be so safe and secure where you can count it all up. Any man, for example, who starts his own business knows he's taking a risk. He can lose it all. For example, when you move, some, some, once in a while somebody will say, well, God told me to, to quit my job and to trust him. Well, now think about this. God doesn't usually tell people, just stop and do nothing. When God tells you to stop something for some specific reason, he's getting you ready to take you somewhere else. And I think about people who say, I don't like my job. I don't feel like I'm growing in my job. I don't think I'm getting anywhere. I don't see any opportunities and on and on and they go. Well, ask yourself the question, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe you're hanging in there because you think that's security. Let me remind you of something. There's only one secure place in the world to be. Only one. In the hand of God. In the will of God. Listen, doing the will of God. That's the only safe, secure place to be. So when God tells you to move in this direction or that direction, move in this relationship or that relationship, what is He doing? He is enabling you to take a step to become the person He wants you to be to achieve the things He wants you to achieve to reach your full potential in life. Thanks for joining us on In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. If God has given you a specific task to accomplish, He'll provide the resources to achieve that goal. Our responsibility is to believe what He says and step out in faith. We'll hear more about taking risks tomorrow. To learn about consistently making God-directed decisions, stop by our website, intouch.org. And that's where you can hear today's message again. Click the link to Today on Radio. If you'd like to order a copy of Dr. Stanley's complete message, Taking Risks, open our online bookstore. It's also included in his teaching set, How to Reach Your Full Potential. Again, log on to intouch.org or call 1-800-IN-TOUCH. To write to us, address your letter to In Touch, Post Office Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. With every decision, we should want to do what God wants us to do. Insight is coming up in today's Moment with Charles Stanley. Trusting God each day can be a challenge. But working to grow that trust brings greater joy and peace than we could ever find on our own. In Trusting God with Today, the 365-day devotional from the teachings of Dr. Charles Stanley, we are encouraged to believe in God's love and rest in His purpose for us. Available now at intouch.org slash today. 
You're listening to In Touch. Getting to know God well is important for the believer who wants to know God's will. Here's a moment with Charles Stanley. Because understanding the character of God eliminates a lot of things. For example, sometimes a person would say, well, here's what I believe God is saying. And when I know that God gives a very clear scripture to forbid that, absolutely could not be his will because it's against his character and against his promises. When he makes us promises, he gives us some awesome promises about answering our prayer and showing us his way. And the anchor verse of my life is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So if I know the promises of God, I understand his character, those two things alone will help me in a very, very specific way finally discover what God is saying, what he wants me to do. You can get to know your Heavenly Father when you search our resources at intouch.org. And if you have a story about how God's grace has touched you through this program, we'd love to hear it. Tomorrow on In Touch, we'll wrap up our message on taking risks. It's also the final session of our series, How to Reach Your Full Potential. I hope you'll join us Wednesday for In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. This program is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia, and remains on this station through the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts. This is Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. On Saturday morning, October 7, in a highly coordinated attack on Israel, the Islamic terror group Hamas fired thousands of rockets, overwhelming the nation's Iron Dome defense system, and sent hundreds of heavily armed militants breaching the border. In addition to soldiers at military outposts, civilians, including women and children, were also targeted in neighborhoods, at bus stops, at public events. By the end of the day, at least 800 Israelis had been killed and an estimated 100 kidnapped, making it the worst day of slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. Though some have likened this event to 9-11, as Joel Rosenberg pointed out, for Israel's population of less than 10 million, 800 killed is equivalent to a mass casualty event of 30,000 Americans. In response, the Israeli government quickly declared a state of war, called up over 300,000 reservists, and laid the groundwork for a final battle to destroy the terror group that's long vowed to drive the Jews into the sea. And now, as an American fleet moves in, and more evidence suggests the attacks were supported by Russian ally Iran, things could get dicey really quick. Hamas didn't simply attack Israeli military units or take out strategic targets. They mutilated the bodies of Jewish soldiers. They killed entire families. They kidnapped children and the elderly. They sexually assaulted women and girls before either killing them or carting them back to Gaza as trophies. Hannah Arendt, the brilliant Jewish philosopher of the 20th century, introduced what she called the banality of evil, the idea that moral horrors like the Holocaust aren't caused by monsters, but by ordinary people. What we witness Saturday might be called the reality of evil. And what's been exposed since is the broken ability of the world to think in moral categories about even the most horrendous evils. A peril of prosperity is an illusion that peace and affluence are normal and natural rather than a blessed anomaly of history. Not only is our current economic situation a relatively new phenomenon in the history of the world, but as Tom Holland and Glenn Scrivener have compellingly argued, our expectations of human rights and human dignity are owed exclusively to Christianity's influence on the world. In other words, what shocked the world on October the 7th would have been an ordinary experience for many humans throughout history. 
And yet, we have to be clear, evil remains an ordinary experience of humanity after Eden, even today. And in moments like these, the postmodern ideals that no truth is really true and all moral claims are really only naked grabs of power are exposed for the lies they are. Disney might be committed to the idea that every villain has a justifying backstory and that there's no black and white, only gray, but that vision just fails the test of the real world. The only explanation, the only one for anyone who excuses or justifies or celebrates Hamas's actions is that they've been taken captive in their heart and mind, either by an Islamic extremism or by the critical theory mood in which the oppressed and the oppressors have already been decided. And two more aspects of evil, all taught within a Christian worldview, are evident in this situation as well. First, not all evils are or should be considered equal. As someone rightly put it, saying in this situation that, well, both sides are wrong is kind of like saying, well, Mordor is evil, but Frodo has his flaws too. Second, evil cannot be tolerated. Harboring Hamas will likely be the most destructive decision ever made by Palestinian authorities. The butchers of Hamas aren't misunderstood, nor did they misunderstand what they were doing. Our contemporary worldviews are wholly inadequate when it comes to recognizing, understanding, and responding to evil. So Christians should work and pray for God to bring a right understanding of evil back to the world, even as we pray for Him to bring a just peace to the people of Israel. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. This Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Paget. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Yuck, it's so slimy. Ah, carving a pumpkin. Making the face is fun, but first, you've got to deal with that mess inside. Our world is something of a mess. Anybody that watches the television realizes that in every area of life, we're in a mess. And just like a pumpkin, the mess, says Billy Graham, is on the inside. Jesus said it's a heart problem. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies. There's only one way to clean up the mess in your heart. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and take control of your life. And he'll do it. Why? God loves you. And he loves you as though you're the only person in the whole world. Learn more about God's love for you and about letting him clean up the mess of your life at findpeacewithgod.net. And it's from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.